You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 21. Guest, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and excited to do so uh, this morning. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation uh, to Restoration. If you're a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say. Uh, not what I have to say. And so uh, we take the scriptures very seriously. Uh, We continue in worship by hearing from God's word and responding to it. And so we must submit our lives uh, to God's word as it is preached to us. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus uh, today, I hope that you will see this as a safe place for you to to see who God is, to see who Jesus is, and to see who his people are, that we come to proclaim uh, who Jesus is as God our Savior and worship Him, and that we can invite those who do not know Him into a relationship with, to God with Jesus Christ. And so uh, we, we start by focusing on the Scriptures this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in front of you and turn to page 15 to follow along with us. I know we've got about six months to go, but I I look forward to Christmas every year. Uh, I mean, I know it's a long time from now, but I do look forward to Christmas. And when you think about Christmas, you're you're waiting on that that morning where you're going to open the presents from your family. You know, you think about it, you know when the day is coming. You know that, that it's going to happen. Or you could be like my brother who, you know, when, when we were younger, he would go out throughout, that, throughout the house and he would find all the places where my parents would stash all our presents. And he would look and he would know uh, before Christmas morning. I think that kind of shatters the surprise and the, the excitement, but he, he would do that. But you know, on Christmas morning, there are going to be presents and for us breakfast with our family. We, that was an expectant thing that we were waiting for. Well, we come to... Genesis 21, where Abraham and Sarah have been waiting. They've been waiting a long time. God has promised them a son. He's promised Abraham land and to be a great nation and that he would bless the nations of the world. And he can't do any of that. The land means nothing if he dies without an heir. And so they waited for years years for God to bring about his promise. And this morning, we come to Genesis chapter 21, and we see God fulfilling his promises. The expectation that they would, they would hold that boy, that he would be the promised seed. The expectation is realized here in chapter 21. So we're, we're going to be in the whole chapter, but I, I wanted the, the first seven verses to frame what happens. The, the rest of the chapter, as it unfolds, is in response to God fulfilling his promises. And so here's what we're going to see this morning. God delivers on his promise of a son to Abraham and Sarah, and they take measures to assure his protection and growth. Now, you, you might wonder, oh, 
what is Abraham and Sarah going to do? They're going to need to protect him because he is the promised seed. And we're going to look at that in just a few minutes. He is the sole heir to Abraham, the one in which God's family, Israel, God's nation will come from. Now, if you're a disciple today, what do we learn and how should we respond when we look here as people who have accepted Jesus Christ? How should we respond today? We can trust God because he is faithful to his promises and therefore obey God in any circumstance. God fulfills his promises and as his people, we can trust him and therefore obey him. No matter what situation, no matter what circumstance, no matter what crisis stands before us. You see, God has made a covenant with Abraham. If you remember back in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to do this for you. And then in 15, God ratifies the covenant. God takes on the the parameters, the conditions, everything about the covenant on himself because he says, I'm going to walk through this sacrifice and take it all on me. So if it fails, then I should be cut in half. This is on God. And so now God comes in this moment and he delivers on his promises. He delivers on his covenant. You see, we've been tracing this seed. Don't forget, we've been tracing this seed up to this point. Remember, all the way back to Genesis 3, 15, there would be a seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. That's the promise that we're waiting on. Is this the one? And so they must be careful, Abraham and Sarah, to trust God and obey him and protect Isaac. So as we walk through the passage, we're going to see God is faithful And what I want to do this morning, the story helps provide four kinds of obedience. Four kinds of obedience to God's promises. Four kinds of obedience to God's promises. Number one, we respond to God's promises with obedient joy. With obedient joy. Look there at verse one again with me. The Lord said, the Lord came to Sarah, and as he said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had Promise. Now, this word came in the CSB, it kind of misses. If, if you think about the word visited, uh, means that God came to her, yes, but that is associated with other times in the scriptures. We think of other women in which God had visited. Ultimately, the woman that he visited was, was Mary, who he visited, and she bore the Messiah. This word visited is a big deal. It means that there is a divine intervention in someone's life. And what's, what's the outcome of that? Look at verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time God had told him. Right, so God has, he has come to Sarah, he's visited Sarah. Now, there's a response. She now bores a, she bears a son for Abraham. God has intervened. Right? God is the only one who could have opened Sarah's womb. If you remember back to Genesis chapter 11, she is barren. She cannot have children. This, the, the only explanation is God himself. God brings life out of brokenness and out of death. And I want to be very clear here. Both Sarah's and Israel's destinies are forever changed because God has intervened 
in this family's life. Look at the words. God said as he had promised and he, as he had told them. Only God could do this. Only God could keep his promises to Abraham and Sarah. Now, for us, it's been, it's been nine chapters, 12 to 21. It's been about 10 or so weeks that we've been talking about the promised son. But for them, it was 25 years that they waited on this son. Many of you in the room aren't even 25 years old. They waited for a very, very long time. But what do we see? That God's word can be trusted. We can remain faithful in our waiting. Even 25 years, we can trust God. I know that some of you are waiting on your young children to profess faith in Jesus Christ. And you're sharing the gospel with them. And you're waiting on them to profess faith. Some of you are waiting on your adult children to repent of their sin and turn to Jesus Christ. And it's been a long time. You've prayed. And some of you, even in those situations, are are praying for reconciliation. And you're waiting for God to work in that situation. And there's nothing else you can do. You, You can trust God that in his timing, he will bring about and fulfill his promises. Some of you are working in situations in which you think it should be different, but it's been difficult. Maybe it's not all that you thought it would be. But God has called you, given you this opportunity, and you can trust God in any circumstance. God will fulfill his promises, and this is what brings us joy. This is what brings joy to our lives, that God does what he says he's going to do. Because if I'm honest, I look around the world, and I look even, even in my own household, or look at myself, I, I have no trust in anything that anybody would say at the end of the day. I have to trust what God says and trust what he's laid out for us. This is what brings us joy. Now, look at what Abraham does in light of that. Abraham named his son who was born to him. The son Sarah bore to him Isaac. This is the child of promise. This is the son that God said they were going to have because of God's intervention. This is why God has protected them thus far. If you remember back last week, Pastor Ryan, he talked about their dealings with Abimelech and he doesn't touch Sarah. Why? Because God intervened. Why is that important? It's because God was protecting Abraham and Sarah and protecting his own promise. There would be no defilement of Sarah and there would be no defilement of the promise that he had committed to Abraham. God has come through on his promises. But don't miss this little action that Abraham takes. He names him Isaac. God has told him to name him Isaac and Abraham simply responds in obedience. Verse 4, when his son Isaac was eight days old, again, Abraham responds in obedience. He circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Abraham has obeyed God's commands. He names him and he circumcises him. Now circumcision will be the sign of the covenant moving forward. And notice here, church, joy leads to obedience. 
Joy leads to obedience. I would bet if you've lost your joy in God, then you've lost your motivation to obey Him. Have you lost your joy in God? Have you lost the expectation that God is who he says he is and he's what he has done? If you've lost your joy in God, then I I guarantee you, you're struggling with sin right now. And so church, when we look at who God is, look at what he's done, look at the promises he has fulfilled, that is what motivates us to joyfully obey him. Now, there, there's, this is why that's important. Look down at verse 6. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne a son for him in his old age. You might be wondering, why would this be a time to laugh? You may be a little confused. Why is laughter a part of the conversation? Uh, don't think of this situation as something to laugh at and rather something to laugh with, right? You're going to rejoice with Sarah. It is in this moment, all Sarah can do is look back at what has happened in the past and say, this is only God and she can only laugh about it. You've had those moments in your life where you look back or in a situation and all you can do is laugh because there is no explanation. There is no other reason other than God has come through on his promises, in fact, Isaac's name means laughter. His, his name is going to remind them of the joy that they have. Right, this is a reminder to Israel and to us, God is faithful and he's working to bring joy back into a broken world. Sarah no longer mocks God and laughs at him like in chapter 18. All she can do is rejoice in that God has given her a son. God has done what he said he would do. Now, don't miss this little note there at the end of verse 7. Sarah bore a son for him in his old age, a hundred years. There is no doubt that this was God's fulfillment of his promises. His word is true. In church, when God's promises are realized, then the only response left is obedience. In this moment, this fulfilled promise is a catalyst for Abraham's obedience. When we look back in the last few chapters, we've seen Abraham fall multiple times. But as we get to the end of this story and as we see over the next few chapters, faith and obedience will categorize Abraham's life. God's actions here will motivate him like a catalyst to obey. See, church, God is a God who's kept his promises all along. He's kept his promise to Adam and Eve. They should have died. But God said there will be a seed that comes. And God promises to Noah that, hey, there's going to be a flood coming and I'm going to protect you. God promises to Abraham. God, God comes and gets his people out of Egypt. And he says, I'm going to give you the promised land that I promised Abraham. There's a king named David who comes and God promises him that there will be a king who sits on your throne forever. And we know that that king is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. God has kept his promises throughout the ages. We can trust him. We can be 
joyful in him because he has done what he said he would do. Now, when we trust and wait for God's promises, we can experience the joy that he brings and obey him in that joy. But for Sarah and Abraham, their past actions will now conflict with God's promises, which brings us to our second kind of obedience. We respond to God's promises with obedient trust. You see, everything's great. Everything, they, they have Isaac. Everything is great. Look at verse 8. The child grew and he was weaned and Abraham held a great feast. On that day, Isaac was weaned. And this would have been about three or four years old, depending on how everything went. Verse 9, but Sarah saw that the son mocking the one Hagar, the Egyptian, had bored to Abraham. And I want you to notice the emphasis that Moses puts here on these two sons. The son of Sarah, the son that she bore to Abraham, and the son of Hagar, that she bore to Abraham. There's now a competition. There's one of promise, there's a son of promise, and there's a son of human effort. Verse 10, so she said to Abraham, drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. Now, the, the translation of the CSB alerts us to what's happening in the text. Now, most translations leave the word mocking as translated as laughing. The word can be both a good thing or a bad thing. And it's described, Sarah sees this. She sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, who is older than him. But I think, though, the context actually helps support that he is mocking Isaac. And other passages confirm that. We, we have in the New Testament, Paul says in Galatians 4.29, he says it this way, Ishmael was persecuting Isaac. It's an even stronger word. Now I think the context there is that Paul's using that to talk about the Judaizers who are saying that the, the church in Galatia would have to do extra things to be saved. And so Paul's making a point. But he obviously sees that there is now a competition between Isaac and Ishmael. And Ishmael knows it, and so he is persecuting, he is mocking Isaac. So Sarah says to have them removed from the family. The mama bear comes out. But the instinct is right. Now, let me, let me explain. She was protecting Isaac. I don't think this was selfish. I don't, I don't think that she was in some way overreacting. Why? Because we could have had another Cain and Abel situation. This is the promised seed. This is the promised son. And so Sarah is protecting him. Verse 11, though, gives us a picture into Abraham's heart. This was very distressing to Abraham because of his son. That's Ishmael. Abraham's conflicted, rightly so. But this is a culmination of Abraham and Sarah's trying to fulfill God's promises with their own effort. And now they have two sons. Abraham has two sons. Because they had a lack of faith. So what are they going to do? Uh, we, clearly, there's a competition of crisis. Should Abraham listen to his wife? He cares for Ishmael. Remember, though, back in Genesis 16, when Hagar leaves and takes Ishmael, that was because they took matters into their own hands. God had promised Abraham a nation, a child. But they had been waiting and their patience had run out. 
So this is where Hagar and Ishmael come in. But here, five chapters later, covering 14 years, the consequences of their actions boil to the top, and now they must make a decision. Church, understand that we cannot fulfill God's promises in our own ways or in our own timing. We're just going to make it worse. So what will happen? How is Abraham going to respond to the situation? What, what would we do in a seemingly impossible situation? Look at what God says in verse 12. But God said to Abraham, Do not be distressed about the boy and about your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her, because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. And I will also make a nation of the son, because he is your offspring. Right? God reaffirms his commitment to Ishmael, despite Abraham's sin. He said it in chapter 16. He says it again. I'm going to protect him and make him into a great nation. God is the only one that can come into a seemingly impossible situation and correct it. Look at verse 14. Early in the morning, Abraham got up, took the bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulder and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. I want to pause for just a moment. This is a horrible situation. Right, we read over this and we, we, can think, we understand that God is the one responding, but this isn't good. Yes, Abraham's obedient to what God said, but this is costly. His sin had led him to this moment. And look at verse 15. When the water and the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. There was only so much food and water she could carry. And went on and sat at a distance about a bow shot away. For she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. While she sat at a distance, she wept loudly. Oftentimes we, we, we tell ourselves that our sins have no consequences on other people. Clearly we see when we don't wait on God, when we don't trust him, when we're not patient, our actions will affect other people. This is exactly what's happening to Hagar and Ishmael. Verse 17, God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the boy crying from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and grasp his hand, for I will make him a great nation. God once again affirms, in the midst of brokenness and sin, I'm going to provide and protect for you. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well. And so she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. This episode of them finding a well and finding water is just one way in which God will continue to protect them as they go. And so God was with the boy, and he grew, and he settled in the wilderness and became an archer. And he settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. In the midst of a horrible situation, God once again shows himself to be a God of the outcasts and a God of those who are forsaken. In the end, God is the only one who could have changed the outcome of this circumstance. Human effort led to competition and banishment where God's promises lead to provision in a future. God is able to keep both promises. He's able to provide in broken situations and he's able to care for everyone involved. Our flesh, yes, will make things more difficult, but they cannot stop God fulfilling his promises. And we should take hope in that. 
That what, even though there are days in which we will mess up, there are days in which we will fall into sin, that cannot keep God from keeping his promises. Therefore, we should trust God even in situations where they don't make sense. There's no way this made sense to Abraham. But I do want you to notice, in, in Genesis 16, God says, go back to Abraham, to Hagar. He says, go back to, to Abraham, be a part of the, of the covenant family, be a part of that. This time she doesn't, though. She does the opposite. Ishmael grows up. We won't see much of him anymore in the story. We'll just see him one more time. But look where Hagar gets a wife for him. She finds a wife for him in Egypt. Now, if you're Israel, hearing this story, Egypt is not a good place. And so now what we see is that Isaac and Ishmael are now, yes, they are now pitted against one another. Because Hagar did not come back to Abraham, but she now leaves and goes toward those who had oppressed Egypt, those, those who had oppressed Israel. Now, Paul in Galatians takes Isaac and Ishmael to make a theological point. You are either one or the other. You're either one or the other. Uh, we're either a child of Abraham like Ishmael, who is outside of the promise, who, work by the, who we try to work our way by the law, or we're a child of promise, a child of the covenant. Right? Paul talks about a child of the spirit or child of the flesh. And so there is these two separate families, two separate ways. Paul is clear. We are either children of the flesh or children of the spirit, and you only become a children or you only become a child of Abraham by the Spirit of God through believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's only, there's only two ways here. Our own works, our own flesh, trying to be vindicated by the law, or we believe in God and his promises. Now, when we look back on chapter 20, clearly Abraham's not righteous. He lies to Abimelech. We've seen him do this before. We've seen him struggle. Abraham is not righteous on his own. He is righteous because he believed God and God then credited it to him as righteousness. The same is for us. We don't work our way to God. We are not righteous in our own selves. It is through the gospel in which we believe God that his son paid for our sins on the cross. And by his spirit we are renewed. And now can walk in obedient trust with him. This is, it's, it's the same. Abraham believed God. You are saved the same way. We believe God in Jesus Christ. And God is the one who sent his son. And then now, we can now trust and obey him. In the midst of brokenness caused by human effort, God does only what he can do. He, he provides we can trust God because he is faithful to his promises, even to those outside the covenant. And therefore, we should obey God and trust him. But thirdly, the third kind of obedience is we respond to God's promise with obedient faith. Obedient faith. Now, James, the author in the New Testament, he picks up on this thing. There are some people that he is talking to, he's writing to, that want to say, well, if you have faith, you don't have to do anything. 
But no, James says if you have faith, then your faith will be demonstrated by your works or by your obedience. And that theme is important as we pick up here in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech, that's the king of the Philistines, accompanied by Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Swear to me, my God, here and now, that you will not break an agreement with me or my children or any descendants of mine. As I have been loyal to you, I've given you this land. You've lived here. So you will be loyal to me in the country where you are a resident alien. Now, you may be wondering, why would Abimelech just come out of nowhere and ask for or demand for a treaty for a covenant with Abraham? Abraham's been living in the land of the Philistines. It's not his land. And so he must align himself with these people so that he can live in the land that God is saying he's going to give to his family. But if you remember back last week, Abraham lies to Abimelech. He lies. That's why Abimelech presses for this treaty. And so now there's a confrontation. What what was Abraham going to do? He now has a son that's going to be a nation. So is Abraham just going to be like, you know what? I'll just leave. Or or am I going to get in some confrontation that's going to, to actually mess up what God has done? Well, look what Abraham does. Abraham said, I swear by it. I swear by it. Now, we know Jesus says, let your yes be yes or your no be no. See, Abraham, he got himself in a situation because he wasn't trustworthy to begin with. And so now Abraham's got to come back around and respond the right way. Verse 25. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the well that Abimelech's servants had seized. In the midst of their argument, in the midst of them trying to confirm their treaty together, Abraham brings up that a well that he had dug had been taken from him by Abimelech's men. Now, this word complain, it means to file a formal complaint. It doesn't mean like when you're complaining in the heat. Right? He, he says, no, this is a formal complaint that he has brought to Abimelech. In this moment, Abraham's faith is demonstrated by his obedience. He could have let it go, thereby causing issues for his family because water was very important. He could have made a big deal and they could have fought over it. Instead, Abraham seeks to reconcile with Abimelech. This could have gotten him killed. Instead, his faith in God motivates him to seek peace by confronting the situation. But he goes further. Look at verse 26. Abimelech replied, I don't know who did this thing. You didn't report anything to me, so I hadn't heard anything about it until today. Not a great response. First of all, he just brought it to you, so now you know. Now you have to respond. But you're telling me as the king, you didn't know that your men had taken this well. I find that hard to believe. I also find it hard to believe the same way in which you've, you've heard about these scandals and college athletics in which the, the head coaches know nothing about what's going on and what their players are doing. They regiment every schedule, what they eat, what they do, where they go, and you're telling me you don't know anything? Hard to believe. Same thing here with this king. There's no way that this king didn't know what his men had done. And so Abraham brings it to him, and it seems that he wants to just skate by. He's like, well, you know, I just didn't really know about that. You didn't tell me about that. In verse 27, so this is what Abraham does. He says, he took flocks and herds and gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. Abraham separated seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech said to Abraham, what have you separated these seven ewe lambs for? So as a demonstration of Abraham's covenant, 
I'm going to remove these from my flock. I'm going to show you and demonstrate my loyalty to you. I'm going to do the right thing in the same way that God made a covenant with me. And so Abraham responds. He replied, you are to accept these seven ewe lambs from me so that this act will serve as a witness that I dug this well. Therefore, that place was called Beersheba because it was there that the two of them swore an oath. And after they made a covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, left and returned to the land of the Philistines. So in this moment in which we, we trace it now, God's promises are fulfilled. Abraham responds in obedience. He trusts God in obedience by trusting him to protect Hagar and Ishmael. And now this new situation comes up that could have ultimately hurt the family as they lived in the land. And Abraham's faith is displayed in his, in his obedience. And now Abraham can now live peacefully in the land and not worry about the king or his armies or his people. His obedience is displayed. But let me be very clear. Obedience is the fruit of salvation, not its vindication. Right here, we're not seeing Abraham do something that is what would have been abnormal for him. We've seen him demonstrate faith. Why? Because God has been faithful to his promises. And now Abraham can respond in obedience. And same for us. The vindication for our salvation is Christ and Christ alone. If we ever look back at our obedience and say, this is what saves me, then it's going to erode our confidence. Abraham has confidence because he looks at what God has done. He looks at his fulfilled promises and his word has come to pass. The same is with us. Church, we trust God because he said he has done what he did. That in Christ he has taken our sin and paid for it. And now we have been called into his family and now can respond in faithful obedience. It was grace from the beginning, and it's grace that continues. That God now gives us the opportunity to demonstrate our faith through obedience. And when we confront situations, we are able to, to look forward to what God is doing. Abraham didn't let fear this time run over him or take control of him. It was his faith in God that led into obedience. Which brings us to Abraham's final action, and it brings us to our fourth kind of obedience. We respond to God's promises with obedient worship. Look there at verse 33. Abraham planted a terrasmus tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. Let me just take a moment to say this is the only place in the scriptures in which this phrase, this, these words are put together to talk about God. The everlasting God in this way. This God is the one, yes, who fulfills his promises, but he's going to fulfill them because he's, he's always been and will always be. Verse 34, And Abraham lived as an alien in the land of the Philistines for many days. Now, this is the first time that Abraham's recorded planting a tree in response to events. He's built an altar before, but here he plants a tree. And I think it's significant in two ways. This tree can only live near a body of water. He's saying, this is my well that we have, have a treaty about. 
It's, an, it's a type of evergreen tree. It needs to be there beside the water. And it's, it's a claim for Abraham. This is my area. This is where I live. This is where I get water. But secondly, it's an act of worship to God, to Yahweh. Right, when, when Abraham plants this tree, it, it's, a, it's a moment of worship because he's acknowledging God has provided for me. God has protected me. God has fulfilled his promises to me. And when he passes that tree, think about it, as it grows. Well, Ash and I, well, as we uh, went to New Orleans last week, we stopped at my parents to pick them up and drove. And I was talking, about Grant, talking to Graham about the trees in, in my mom and dad's backyard where I used to, used to climb those trees. And uh, there's a rope that I, I would hang to, to climb up in the tree. Well, well, here's the thing. I haven't climbed that tree in almost 20 years. So that tree that has, has actually grown around that rope. So when I look back at that tree, I have memories of, of playing in the backyard. But when Abraham walks by this tree, he remembers in the ways in which God has fulfilled his promises. He remembers all that God has done. And so in some ways, it acts as an altar. It's a reminder God fulfills his promises, and it causes Abraham to worship. Now, church, when we, when we respond in obedience and joy, trust and faith, may we never forget to worship God because of what he's done. This is why we gather every Sunday. This is why we, this is why we come here every, every Sunday morning to worship God, to proclaim that he is who he says he is, has done what he said he would do, and is going to bring us to himself when Christ returns. That's why we come and worship together. All of this is because of Jesus. All of this is because our God is a promise keeper. This tree is a reminder of God's faithfulness if Isaac wasn't enough. Every Sunday we come to remind ourselves of what God has done, to remind each other, you are walking trees in our lives. Like you just, we remind each other, hey, think, when we get down on ourselves and we look at our sin, when we are depressed, anxious about the future, we look at each other and we say, let me, let me remind you what God has done in my life. Let me remind you what God has done in your life. This is what we do together. That's why we come to worship. And we ultimately worship proclaiming Jesus Christ because one day he's going to come back. There's one last promise that he's going to fulfill. And it's his son. He's going to come back. He's going to, he's going to make all things new again. We can trust this God. And we can obey him because he keeps his promises. Will you pray with me? God, you are our good father. You are our provider. We have seen that you step into situations that are unthinkable and you make a way out of those. God, the, the ultimate situation where there was no hope was that we were dead in our sin. And you came, sent your son to die on a cross so that we could be made right with you. God, may we be encouraged today that you keep your promises. God, would you help us out of that, out of those promises, obey with joy and trust and faith and worship. 
Lord, would our church be a place where we help each other obey, we call each other to obey, but because we're talking about all the things that you have done and the things that you are doing and the things that you will do. God, we love you. And we praise you for all that you have done. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.